morning, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, good morning, friends. You've got to have to work harder than that, man. There's not many people here. Um, <laughs> thank you, Alan. Uh, you know, we've been uh, saying these past couple weeks, actually since Holy Week and then Easter, that this is uh, anything but what most of us experience in Easter season, right? We're live streaming from home. Hello, friends that are there. Preaching to a largely empty building this morning. And uh, though I will say, strangely, in God's providence, uh, the outreach of our ministry here has actually expanded. There's people from all over the world actually watching our liturgies here. Thanks be to God. But, but the strange thing is that this has been an Easter of isolation, right, of loneliness, of social distancing. And I think the big takeaway, at least for me, right, is to see this actually from a different lens, to be reminded that actually... The first Easter was kind of like this. It wasn't some great big spectacle with trumpets and brass and thousands of people in church, literally. Uh, it wasn't a great big event at all. In fact, the, the first Easter day was actually something quite restrained, quite individual, quite intimate. If you think about it, the people that Jesus appears to on Easter morning, which is what this, this occurs, I'll get to that in a second, they're individual, they're individual people, right? Mary, we read about that on Easter Day. Uh, Peter, we don't actually read about it in Scripture, but they tell us that today that Peter had seen him. John, individual. Thomas, these aren't great big gatherings of people. That does happen later. But on Easter Day, on Easter Day, Jesus meets people one-on-one, -on -one, and he changes them one-on-one, -on -one, individually, relationally, just like he did, frankly, with you and with me. And so in today's gospel, we read this story. It's one of my favorites, actually, in, in the New Testament. This story about these two guys, right? Cleopas, hey, thanks, Pop, for naming me Cleopas, right? Cleopas, uh, which, in, which incidentally, if you care, is the masculine name for Cleopatra, right? Anyway, Cleopas is one guy going on the road to Emmaus and a second man who remains unnamed. And they meet Jesus, they don't know it at first, but they meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And in that meeting, in that encounter, in that traveling along the road to Emmaus, he changes them. This is such a cool story. I want to show you this. Three points this morning. I'm going back to my three. Um, three things. It's pretty obvious when you read this text, right, that Jesus meets us where we are, right? Point number one. He meets us where we are. Secondly, Jesus changes us, and then finally, we realize it, right? So Jesus meets us where we are, right? Warts and all. Jesus changes us, point number two, and then the third one is we realize it. So first thing, Jesus meets us where we are. One thing, we've been reading these texts on Easter Day. You have to understand there's sort of a timeline here. And the timeline goes like this, that Luke reports there's two guys, Cleopas and another fella, going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven miles away. Well, why are they doing that? Well, interestingly, 
This is actually occurs, this, this text today occurs on the afternoon of Easter day. So these two men, Cleopas and the other unnamed fellow, were back in the upper room hiding out with the rest of the gang when Mary had gone to the tomb that morning and came back and said, guys, you're not going to believe this. The, plate, the tomb is empty. And then Peter and John run over to the tomb and discover it's empty. And then they all stay there wondering what in the world is going on. And we know that Cleopas and the other guy were in the room when Mary came back. It says so. So Cleopas and the other guy are there in the room in Jerusalem with the rest of the disciples, scared, confused, wondering what in the world is going on with Mary Magdalene, right? What's she talking about? And then they make a decision. This is in a, it's not in the text, but it's obvious if you think about it. Cleopas and the other guy decide to bug out. They bail. Realize something here. These men, these are real people, and they're in the upper room. Mary comes back, reports what's happened to her, and they're like, man, this is just too hot. We've got to get out of here. And so Cleopas and the other man, they leave. They leave Jerusalem. They leave their friends, and they go to a place called Emmaus, seven miles away. Why do they leave? It's not to get takeout from Moe's, right? That's what I did yesterday. <laughs> it's to it's to get out of Jerusalem so they don't get killed. They realize the gig is up, and they also know, Cleopas and the other man know, if they stay in Jerusalem, the clock is ticking. So they bug out to fear, as an act of fear and self-preservation. They hightail it away from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, seven miles away. And here's the thing I want you to see here. They do, Cleopas and the other guy, they do exactly what you and I do. Think of a time in your own life, right, when you were at a crisis moment. It could be anything, right? A crisis moment in your own life, right? Your death of a loved one or somebody's ill or sick or you lose your job or you can't leave the, your house for 30 days, whatever. You lose a friend to the coronavirus, whatever it is, man. What is the very first thing you do in a crisis? You find somebody that you trust, and you talk to them. It could be your husband, it could be your wife, it could be your priest, it could be a friend. This is the one thing about this social isolation, which is just so, so cruel, is that we are social beings, and the thing we need in a crisis is not to be masked up and tucked away like some experiment, but to be in contact with one another. That's what we do, man. Human beings seek comfort and support in each, with each other in the midst of our suffering. We need each other. God designed us this way. And in fact, it's because God's nature, God's very nature is relational, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a relational God, relational in his own being, his own nature, relational with us. And if we are made in his image, and we are, then why are we surprised when loneliness and isolation and social distancing literally feel unnatural, literally feel inhumane. So Cleopas and the other guy, I wish he was named, it'd be so much easier, Cleopas and, Cleopas and Bob, right? They're walking along to Emmaus, and they're, and they're walking along, and they're doing what friends do, man. They're complaining, they're probably sad, they're scared, they're, what am I going to do now? I can't believe this Jesus guy, man. We bet on the wrong horse, and he let us down, right? Whatever. Can you believe those knuckleheads are staying back in Jerusalem? They should be social isolating, whatever. But here's the thing I want you to see, right? Here they are walking to Emmaus, fearful and scared, and maybe even a little cowardly. And Jesus, point one, 
He meets them there, literally. Jesus always meets us where we are. And I love this. this is, if you think about it, it's just the funniest thing in a way. Jesus approaches Cleopas and the other guy, Bill, and he says, uh, hey, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? What's going on, fellas? You know, it's kind of a ridiculous question. It's kind of like, it's kind of like going to Publix, right, and going to check out from Publix and asking the Publix girl. I always pick on the Publix checker. I don't know why, but you say to the Publix checker, hey, Mayor, why is everybody wearing all these masks and stuff? What's the deal? She's like, man, what have you done? You've been under a rock for the past 30 days, right? And so Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? And they say to him, dude, really? And they don't say that. That's what the Rodriguez translation would say. But the actual translation says, they say, are you the only one? Are you the only one who has not heard about the things that have happened? It's kind of ironic because they're talking about the only one who doesn't know the things that happened, and they're talking to Jesus himself. They don't recognize him yet. I'll get to that in a second. But it's actually, I want you to see this. It's a bit of a rebuke. It's a lot of a rebuke. Dude, where have you, what's the matter with you? Are you the only person who doesn't know what's happened? And the scripture says that they, and this is actually the important point here about this little piece. The scripture says that they looked sad. Now that Greek word there is the Greek word skuthropos. And it doesn't mean just sad or gloomy. It does mean that, but it's got an interesting nuance that I want you to challenge you with this morning. The interesting nuance is not just sad and fearful, but actually anger. And that makes perfect sense to me, right? When you are in a situation of radical loss in your life, when you're in a situation of struggle, job, career, family, relationship, whatever it is, man, fill in the blank. When you experience loss, you, ex- you experience this skuthropos, this Greek idea, sadness, yeah, loneliness, yeah, and if you dig deep enough, you'll find anger, and you should. Life is not supposed to be this way. And that's why these two men, when they see Jesus, they're, they're questioning of him. Where have you been, man? He's got a little bit of an anger, an edge to it, right? But listen, this is the key, right? Jesus is a big boy, man. He can take it. He listens to them, and he meets them where they are. And I think that is an important pastoral point for us today. And the point is this, simply. Look, God does not expect... God does not expect you to have your act together before he meets you. No way. He didn't with me, or Paul, or Cleopas, or the other guy on the road, or Mary, or anybody else. Jesus Christ does not expect you to have your life together to meet you. No. On the contrary, he meets you in the dirt. He meets you in the struggle. He meets you on the road. And here's the cool thing. He meets them, point number two, and he begins to gradually change them. Watch this. Ironically, as they walk along, and they're wondering, where is God in this struggle? Where is God in this struggle? He's actually literally right next to them, and they don't see him. And, but he begins to work on them, and it, and it takes time. And he begin to, begins to explain, Jesus begins to explain to, to uh, Cleopas and the other guy, uh, it says, it begins to explain the Old Testament and how all the Old Testament said that Jesus had to suffer and die. Could you imagine? I wish we had that sermon, man. What a great sermon that would be. Jesus actually preaching a sermon about himself being vindicated on the cross and how this whole process of crucifixion was required by the Old Testament. But the point I want you to see is that it's slow, and it's gradual, and it's relational. And I'll submit to you this, that they don't even realize what's going on. They don't even realize that he's changing them. 
Not yet. But look at what he does. It's through fellowship. It's through being with each other. It's through being with Jesus, through conversation with each other, through relationship with Jesus, through the scriptures. It says he's preaching them. We see in a minute the, the culmination is the Eucharist. But the point I want you to see here, and it says it, we're not our hearts burning within us. God, Jesus begins to break down the walls of their heart, begin to break through their anger and fear and frustration. And the cool thing is they don't even realize it. And let me ask you this question. Has that ever happened to you? Happened to me. Where God worked on you slowly, gradually, and you probably didn't even really know it at the time, right? But you can look back now on those struggles and you can see God's hand in that process all along. That's actually pretty much my story as a Christian. Man, I was not a choir boy. I've never actually never been a choir boy, but I mean, even metaphorically, I've never been a, as a kid, I was a bit of a, a bit of a rabble-rouser, you might say, but, but God worked on me, man, gradually and slowly. I taught scientific method in grad school. That was a biggie for me. But God worked on me, putting people and places and experiences in my life that challenged me. I'll never forget, I told somebody once that I didn't believe in that Christianity stuff. I was a skeptic. And the person said to me, well, okay, fine, but if you're going to be a skeptic, you've got to be skeptical of your own skepticism. The point I want you to see, right, is for a lot of people, certainly for me, maybe a lot of you, in fact, I bet most of you, that the process of conversion is a gradual, a gradual movement along the road to Emmaus. You know, we think of, and I think, I think mistakenly, we think of conversion experiences as these great big whiz-bang, cosmic, humongous, explosive events, right? Those are the ones that get all the press, right? Benny Hinn on TV, whoa, and people falling down, which is probably fake, but another matter. <laughs> but we always, think of, we always think of that. We think of the road to Damascus, another road, another conversion story, where Paul is on the road to Damascus, on that way to go kill Christians, and he meets Jesus on the road, and he gets knocked off his horse, and he falls down, he's blinded, and there's lights and colors and flashing, and that's what most people think of conversion, but friends, that was not my story. I've met people like that, have had big whiz-bang road to Damascus experiences, but in my own life and in a lot of people, I didn't meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. I met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. But my conversion was gradual. It was relational. I could see it now. couldn't see it then. And a lot of times we don't even realize God's work until post facto, until after the fact. I mean, think about it. Stop and think back in your own life, the times that are most difficult for you. And you now know that God was with you all along. You could see it now. You couldn't see it then. In fact, I would submit to you that when you are in the loneliness of despair, when you're on that road to Emmaus, I'll bet you God is a lot closer than you think he is. Where in your own life, friends, can you look back and see your own walk on your road, the road to Emmaus? And then finally, we begin to see, we see that they, these men, Cleopas and Bill, realize that they've met him. This is, this is really cool. After this two-hour walk to Emmaus, this conversation, and they say, they say, hey, Jesus, you know, hey, hey we're here, right? We're going to have some dinner. You want to join us for some uh, you know, some uh, chicken wings from hurricanes, <laughs> whatever. Man, I guess they wouldn't eat chicken wings. But you, you, you want to stop, stop and have some dinner with us? 
And they urge him strongly. Well, why, is it, why would they urge him strongly? Because they've been walking along and they're, they're, they're just stricken with this man and what he says and what he says is true and real and rings in their brains. And they say, man, will you just come have dinner with us? Stay with us. And here's the thing. He agrees and he goes in. They invite him. They invite him. They respond to his call. They respond to him. Hey, come join us. And then they see him. He, break, he takes bread and he breaks it, right, in the sacrament, just like he'd done three days earlier in the upper room with these very same people. He breaks the bread and they see him. Bam! They realize finally who it is. I can't tell you how. Nobody knows. But they finally realize him and they say something. This is so cool. Did not... They say, Bam, and he disappears, and Cleopas says to Bill, man, did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn? Dude, what just happened? What just happened? I'll tell you what just happened. They'd been changed. They'd been converted, and they didn't even know it. You ever notice in your own life, in your own heart, that you see, you go along, and you kind of stop one day, and you realize something's different? Just this past week, we were, we were, I was talking about this with somebody, and they said to me, you know, I really, think, uh, I really think I'm on that road to Emmaus. I said, yeah, I think most people are. She said, the Lord's working on me. I'm not sure where this is going. It's a little freaky. It's kind of scared me a little. It's a big change in my life. Yes, it will be. But what, can you think back in your own life, or people around you, where you know that God has changed you and is changing you, and then the next thing these guys do, remember, they are going from Jerusalem to Emmaus to get away from what is probably certain death, right? To escape from the Roman uh, authorities. They see Jesus. He breaks bread in the Eucharist with them. They see who he is. Dude, did not our hearts burn within us? And what's the next thing they do? They walked to Emmaus, but then they run back to Jerusalem. They run, encouraged, emboldened, strengthened, no longer fearful of even death itself. They run back and they say what every Christian says. I've seen the Lord. Guys, you're not going to believe this. What Mary said this morning is right. You know, and it's interesting, a very, that very night they gather, and that very Easter evening, as you know, Christ comes and visits them. Thomas isn't there. That's next Sunday. But Cleopas is part of the crowd. He gets added in to this group of people that are meeting him. And nobody can stop the proclamation of that good news. So here's my question for you as I wrap up. Where are you? Where are you on that road to Emmaus? Maybe you're still on the road to Emmaus. Maybe you're still trying to figure this whole Christianity thing out. Okay, okay. Maybe you've been to Emmaus, you've been converted, and you're running back to Jerusalem to tell everybody else, meaning you're prepared to proclaim that Christ has changed you, that Jesus changed his lives for good. Maybe you're wrestling with the big questions of your life. Why am I here? What's the purpose? Does life have any intrinsic value? Do I matter? Maybe you've arrived. Then, man, your, your job is to run back to Jerusalem, to go back in and tell those that Jesus has changed you and is changing your life for good. Friends, I love this story so much because as a priest, as a pastor, this resonates with a lot of people. Most of us are road to Emmaus folks. We can look back in our life and see God's hand working through it, the circumstances of our lives gradually bringing us along 
to a full knowledge of him. I, I love that you can look back and you can see in your life now, and you are called to share this, how Christ has walked with you all along. He's always been there. He's still with you. And he challenged you to go and tell others about him. Shall we pray, Lord, teach us to be reminded of our walk to Emmaus or those of us who are walking the road to Emmaus. Remind us that even when we struggle, even when we doubt, even in our deepest suffering, you are there. Give us a willingness, Lord, to invite you into our hearts. Give us a willingness to see you when you reveal yourself to us. Help us to be reminded again of our own road to Emmaus experience and remind us that we are called to go back into Jerusalem and preach the good news to those who don't know you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.